Good morning, Trinity Church. It's good to be with you today. I just, as we were singing that whole set of songs, I just started reflecting back in 1 John in chapter 3 where it says, see what great love the Father has for us, that we should be called his children. And that's what we are. And uh, just to be able to worship the Lord like that is a real gift. And it's a gift to be together today. And so um, I'm, I'm excited to uh, continue in our time of worship and turn our hearts towards the Word of God and specifically towards 1 John. We've been in this series, you just uh, heard the, the video that introduced it, and today is the day that we actually bring it into the finish line. So we're at the very end of 1 John, and this series has been a series just reminding us of these important truths of our faith and of our Christian walk with the Lord and what's true about Jesus. And we've been reminded over and over. And now when we come to the end, okay, John's been saying things like, we know this and we know that. I was thinking today is kind of like the July 4th fireworks. What happens at the end of the show? Right? It's just like, we know, we know, we know, we know, we know. And he's just going to hammer us today with some of these important, amazing truths. And I've called this, these are three absolutes, and I'm condensing a little bit. There are three absolutes that will absolutely change your life if you understand and believe these things today that John's going to tell us. And so uh, we are, I'm excited to look at these things, but... Here's how it all begins, and it's kind of on the tail end of what we looked at last week. He ends, and, and this kind of launches us into this last, uh, these last paragraphs of John's letter, and this is 1 John 5.13. It's going to be on your screens, and he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so that's kind of summarizing what he just said, like, hey, this is, it's straightforward. This is how you know you have eternal life. And now he's going to tell us these are the amazing benefits, or this is what's true about you once you know you have eternal life. Okay, so he is writing today to those who would identify and say, I am a believer. I have been born again. And these th that is true of me, and he's going to give us some really important absolutes that we can build our life on. So, I want to pray before we dig in, all right? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this precious time that you have appointed for us to be together as a people who belong to you whom you are seeking, whom you invite to draw near. And Lord, thank you for this, these words of truth that we've already put our heart, our heart in, in, into the truth, Lord, through our time of worship and song and the testimony that Josh shared of the way that you work powerfully in our students' lives in camp. And we're trusting you and asking you to work in our lives today as we spend the next uh, minutes in your word together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
So the first absolute that will absolutely change your life is about prayer. So one of the great privileges that those who believe in Jesus have is the privilege to talk to God, to have an intimate relationship with him. And so here's the truth. God hears you. John's going to say, we know that when we pray, God hears us. That's a pretty important truth that will change our lives, certainly our prayer life, if we believe that. And this is the thing, is he's not just going to say, God hears you. He's going to actually say, God's sense of hearing is active. He's actually going to give you the things that you ask for. This is a pretty amazing promise that John gives us. So let's look at what he says. Uh, we're at verse 14, 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And so before we dig into that promise, <clears throat> is there already a little bit of a sense of a nagging thought of, yeah, but it doesn't always work out that way, right? Is this really true that whatever I ask, I, I have those things that I ask for of God? Is that really what he's saying here? And it is. So let's kind of dig in and try to make sense of that because you know if you've been a follower of Jesus for a while or maybe even not, you've asked for things and you're like, God hasn't given those things to me. I'm still waiting for those things or things turned out really differently than what I was praying for. So we have to bring the real life into, uh, into this uh, look into God's word. And how, what does this have to say? What are you saying to us, God? I was talking to my friend and coworker Mary about this passage and this truth that God hears us, and she reminded me that this gift of being heard is like one of the most foundational elements to any relationship. To know that the other person, God in this case, hears you is a foundation to trusting another person, isn't it? In fact, in a relationship, you hit hard times in a marriage or in a friendship or in a church family. Knowing that the other person hears you is really knowing that they love you. And it's also going to enable this sense of hope. Like, you know what, right now we're at an impasse, but we're going to make it through this. And so God gives us this amazing promise that we know that he hears us. And I don't want to miss the importance of that because it gives us confidence in our relationship with him. And that's the word that John is going to use, that we have confidence. Okay, so this Greek word translated confidence is parousia, and it means confidence, but it actually means boldness. Confidence gives you boldness. And it's the same word that the author of Hebrews, when he's talking about prayer, he says the same, he uses the same word. Uh, this is going to be up on your screen, so you don't have to turn there in your Bibles. But Hebrews 4 says, let us then with confidence, same word, 
draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Another translation says we can boldly approach the throne of grace. And so that is the, uh, the way that we who believe in Jesus should be coming to him with our prayer requests, boldly coming into his presence through, um, through this promise. But while he, the author of Hebrews and John attach the same word of our approach to God, uh, John attaches a condition, doesn't he? I knew it. There's a condition on this prayer, and here it is. We have to ask what? According to his will. Oh, that makes it easy. If I ask for something that's not according to his will, he's not going to give it to me. That's why I don't get the things I ask for. Mm, maybe, but I think there's a lot more that John has in mind to this idea of according to his will. And here's how we get to find out, is that John has already talked about this in his letter. That's how John writes, right? He introduces something, and he comes back to it, and he comes back to it. Well, we're at the end. And so he's going to talk about something that he already introduced to us earlier. And I want to look back at that because it's going to help us to understand what does John mean by according to his will. All right, take a look back to chapter 3, verse 21. I need to grab water. A little parched today. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Same promise. There it is. Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he has commanded us. And so, in this passage, he uses the same context of our assurance of faith in Jesus. He uses the same approach. We should approach boldly with confidence. And he uses the same promise. He gives the same promise. You have what you ask for. But here, according to his will, is placed with if we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And so it was helpful this week when I was reading commentaries to, to realize what John is talking about isn't the hidden will of God. It's not what's going to happen in the future. He's talking about the revealed will of God. The things that God has told us, this is important. Follow these commands. And that's what John's talking about. It's the will of God that he's given to us. And folks, where has he given us his will? How do we know it? It's in his word. It's in the scriptures that God has revealed his will and his commandments. And that's the beauty is that we don't have to guess. We get to go there together. We get to go there in our Bible studies, in our home groups, on Sundays as we are in the, under the teaching of God's word. And we get to go there in our quiet times in our own life as we're seeking to say, what is God like? And what is he taught? What is he commanded? How can I align my life with his will for my life? 
You know, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane wrestled with the will of God. Do you remember that? At the end, um, right before he was arrested, he, uh, he, he was going to go pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's right from that place that, they, that he was arrested. And uh, here's the thing is he pulls aside Peter and James and John, three of his disciples, says, come with me. And he goes and he prays. So John, the author of this letter, is there that day. He is there in that intimate moment with Jesus when Jesus is praying to the Father. The the irony is that John doesn't include that in his gospel. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do include that encounter and that prayer of Jesus in the garden. John includes a different prayer. We're going to come to that at the end of, of the message today. But listen to this real quickly. This is Matthew's account of Jesus wrestling with the will of God. Then he said to them, my soul is sorrow, very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus taught his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so this is what Jesus taught. This is what Jesus modeled. And it's and when I think of the will of God, I automatically go to the future. Like, how's this going to turn out? And that's not what John's talking about here. And it's even not what Je- Jesus is praying about. Jesus knows the will of the Father. He knows his purpose. He already said, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus is wrestling with the will of God. And he's bringing that to him. And I love his words, not as I want it, but what you want, God. I want what you want. And that's how we're supposed to pray. I want what you want. Then we can come with confidence, we know that he hears us, and we know that he's going to give us the things that we ask for when what we want is what God wants. Does that make sense? It's a beautiful promise. I like how the ESV study Bible clarifies the meaning of according to his will. If you do not have a study Bible like the ESV study Bible, I really recommend it. Very, very helpful as you read and get stuck in some things that maybe you're like, I don't quite understand that. Um, they provide some, some insights like this. To ask God according to his will does not mean that before Christians can pray effectively, they need to somehow discover God's secret plans for their future, sometimes called his hidden will or the will of decree. Rather, it means they should ask according to what the Bible teaches about God's will for his people, sometimes called God's revealed will or his will of precept. If Christians are praying in accordance with what pleases God as found in the teaching of Scripture, then they are praying according to his will. And so I think we can state a general principle of the Christian life here, and it's this. The more that you know 
and follow the scriptures, the more you will experience God's answers to your prayers. The more that we know what God has said in his word, and the more we set our hearts to wanting what God has said to be true of us and in our lives, the more we'll experience the answers to, his, to the prayers. And it makes sense because the more we set our hearts on the things that God wants for us, the more that we're going to start asking for those things. And the more delighted he is to give us those things. What a joy to set on that, our lives on those tracks. And to start, I think of to start when you're young, like you guys, to start on those tracks of saying, I'm going to be asking God for the things that the scriptures tell me he wants. That's what I'm going to ask. Now, can, can we ask for other things? Absolutely. Absolutely. But the promise here is when we ask for those things, he hears us and he's going to give us what we ask for. Pretty amazing. I want to give you just a real practical way that I try to live like this, to pray like this. This is something that I, um, I kind of picked up. It's a prayer app that just has helped me be more faithful in praying through the scriptures. And in the process of praying through the scriptures, I found out that I'm starting to memorize them so that they come up when I'm just having a conversation or I'm, I'm praying for a brother or sister in Christ or for one of my kids or my family. I start to realize, oh my word, this is, this is God's will through his scriptures. And so I, this is something I've been doing for the past five years. I just picked it up from a pastor that does it. And... Um, I got the prayer app to pray for people, and I remembered once, years and years ago, I heard someone say, pray for yourself first. Before you pray for others, pray for yourself. And, and so uh, these are two lists that I pray early on before I ever start praying for other people. I pray for my walk with God, and then biblical prayers are prayers that you, you actually see modeled in the scriptures. And these lists now, especially the left one, over five years, I just keep adding to it, right? I'm in a sermon, I'm in a Bible study, and I just realize, oh my word, this is something I should be asking God to do in my life. And so I add. So each one of those, those uh, titles has scripture behind it. And then the way the app works is it just throws one at you, maybe two, depending on how many you say you want to pray for each week. And... I just want to encourage you, Trinity, us, to do this. Can you imagine not only what happened in our own lives personally, if we're praying this way, but what would happen in our church collectively if together we're seeking the will of God and we're asking Him for those things? Well, He says He hears us and He'll do them. And so it's just a beautiful way that I encourage you to pray. So, what about God's hidden will? Well, as I learn more and more about God, I learn to trust him with those things. Because guess what's not in this verse? The issue of time. Do you notice that? John didn't say when. And so there's this sense of trusting the Lord with the things on your heart that you're asking for. But that faith trust that, ah, I know you hear me, God, and I know that if this is according to your will, and I think it is, that you're going to do it, and I'm just going to wait for your timing on this issue. And guess what? If it's in my own life, it takes time 
for transformation to happen in my life. Because I'm a sinner. And guess what? That's where, this is a horrible transition, but that's exactly where he goes next, right? He's going to talk about sin, but he's actually going to put the focus on praying for others. And that's no surprise in a book where his heart has been that we love one another, that he would apply this principle of asking according to God's will, he would apply that to us actually praying for each other. Okay, so this isn't a second point. This is actually an application of the first that John takes some time to develop. So take a look at the scriptures in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. Those, to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death, and I don't say that one should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, there's a lot here in this, and we're going to try to unpack it, but don't miss the main point of what John's saying here is that we ought to be praying for each other, specifically about this issue regarding sin. So when John turns his attention to sin, it's, it shouldn't be a surprise to us because right out of the gates in 1 John, he addresses sin. He just says, hey, if you say you're walking in the light because God is the light, but you're living in the darkness, then you're not being truthful. And, he, and so he deals with sin and gives us a way to deal with it right out of the gate. And we're going to come back to that because he's going to stay on this topic for a while. But what he's saying here is apply this prayer principle to praying for one another. That's what he's saying. The promise is that God will hear and hear his promise is that he will give them life. Now, I want you to think about that real quick. This is a brother, a Christian brother or sister. When he uses the word brothers, brothers and sisters, he's saying, Christians, pray for those people in your family that are struggling with sin. And the promise is, I will give them life. So we know that he's not talking about eternal life. He's trying to make it very clear. I'm not talking about the death. I'm talking about people who are alive in Christ, who have been given eternal life, but there's still this sense that what they need is a restoration back into life. A little confusing, but as I was reflecting on that this week, I realized that sin is a life killer. It sucks the life out of it. Us. If we're in a relationship with somebody and we sin against that person, it hurts the, the joy and the fellowship that we have in that relationship until we deal with that problem. And it's the same way with God. So God came to give us eternal life. Is that something we're just waiting for? Is it like we just kind of do whatever we want and then when we die, yay, we get the ticket into heaven? No. Eternal life is a gift that begins the moment you place your trust in the Lord. He wants you to enjoy the fullness of life lived in Him. 
And when we are struggling with sin, even though we've been given eternal life and we can have assurance, um, what happens is we're not experiencing the fullness of that life, that abundant life. And so I believe that what John is saying is when we ask, God's going to restore that back to that person and back to that community, right? Because sin damages the relationship with both those who are closest to us. God's going to restore life to that person. So, without getting buried in the details, John includes a very intentional clarification that he's talking about a sin that does not lead to death. You notice that? He's super like, he's just going to really hammer that hard. And you're like, John, what are you talking about? Why is this so important? And there, there are some different things that commentators thought about that because it was confusing to me. But I think the most sense is from this, and I'm just going to read it to you so that we can move on. All right? And you guys can talk about this later if you think it means something else. <laughs> a better approach. This is uh, from uh, the Pillar Commentary on 1 John. Better approach is to examine who it is in 1 John that the author sees committing sins which do and do not lead to death. It is the brother or the, the Christian brother or sister whose sin is not unto death for whom the readers are urged to pray. If this is the case, then the sin that does, not, that does lead to death is most likely that of the unbeliever. Within the overall context of 1 John, there were secessionists, secessionists who are now regarded as unbelievers, right? They were, they were part of this fellowship, and then they went out from us, John says. That's probably who John has in mind. And he says, in particular, de they've denied that Jesus is the Christ come in the flesh and that his death is necessary for salvation. This explanation has the advantage of relating the matter of sins that lead and do not lead to death to the central issues being addressed by the letter. And so let that kind of sit where it is. But, but when John says, I'm not talking about this, I'm talking about this, He's not prohibiting us from play, praying for unbelievers. Do you see that? He's not saying don't do it. He's just saying what I want to clarify here is you must pray for your brother or sister. That's what he's saying. He's wanting to clarify the importance of this type of love. And how come? It's because we're family. We're family. So there we go. That's a... The second absolute truth that will absolutely change your life is that God hears you when you pray according to his will, and he'll give you those things you ask for. Base your life on that and your faith. The second truth is this. He's going to stay talking about sin, and this is really, really good. This is good to know that Jesus protects you. Jesus protects you. Do you remember earlier in John 2, he said that when we sin, which he's saying, hey, Christians are going to sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's going to come back to that, and he's going to open the door a little bit. Of, like, what does Jesus, our advocate, do? 
Let's read in the scriptures. Verse 18. We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So here's our second we know, telling us that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, if, if, we, if we interpret that the wrong way, that could really trouble us, couldn't it? Because here it is Sunday morning, and I'm pretty sure I've already sinned in my thoughts or in my unwillingness to serve a brother or sister. I, so I know that I sin as a believer. What's he talking about here? And the key is that he's been talking about sin through this idea of practicing sin. Think about practicing sin as, as, as um, the, the converse is practicing righteousness. And he's saying, hey, if you've been born of God, you no longer practice sin, you practice righteousness. Think about practice. Practice if you, is intentional, isn't it? I am intentionally practicing at something because I want to get better at it. And he's saying, believers no longer practice sin. That's not what they want to get better at. It is not intentional. And so our intentional walk, our practice, so, so to speak, should be aimed at doing what is right and good and honoring to the Lord, keeping his commandments. I love the next line. This is life-changing because we know that the struggle with sin, even for a believer, because maybe of our past or maybe because we just unguardedly, we let things in that are just drawing our hearts away, especially when it comes to addictions, the struggle can be intense, even for believers. And so this is life-changing truth. I love what John says next. He says, but he who was born of God, referring to Jesus Christ, protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. The word for protects is the same word that John has used over and over in this passage. Every time he said you need to keep his commandments. You need to keep his commandments. That's the heart of a person who's been born again. They want to keep his commandments. And now he's talking about sin and saying we no longer sin when we're believers. That We don't keep on doing it. Why? Because Jesus keeps us. Same word. Jesus keeps us. That's the word for protects. And, he's, and then he adds to it, and the evil one does not touch him. So we can be sure of victory in our desire to practice righteousness because God is keeping us, protecting us from the enemy, that we do not have to be afraid that he's going to draw us back over to the dark side. We can have confidence that God is going to give us victory because he already has 
even if we're in the process of realizing it and living in it. And that is such important truth. But what do we do when we sin? Okay, it's going to happen. What do we do? Even if we're really trapped in it. And I was thinking of this illustration this week. Let's just say that I'm going on a hike with my dad. I'm a kid. I'm with my dad. My dad, we're up in our mountains, and he says, uh, listen, there are bears on this trail, and I'm pretty sure you're going to meet one, but I want you to know something. I've got you covered. I'll protect you if we see a bear, and that bear is not going to be able to touch you. So we're hiking along. I see a bear. What do I do? I run. Where do I run? To my dad, right? I run to my dad if I really believe that he's going to protect me. And I do. I run to my dad. <laughs> you guys, how tragic when those of us who have that kind of promise, we have that advocacy with Jesus before the Father, we have that protection from the enemy that's that when we get trapped in sin, we turn away from God sometimes. And we go to other things, or we go into hiding because of shame. That ought not be, because this truth reminds us that we need to just be in the protection of the enemy. And then we will not keep on sinning, right? That's the point. So... <clears throat> Here's the cool thing. We don't have to run far to get to the Father because John's going to teach at the end of his book, we are in him. He is in us. We are in him. He's present with his people. So we just need to lean on him and believe. And I think we need to just pray according to his will, what he already taught us. So it's like John saying... Oh, in the next verse, he says, we are from God. While the world is under the control of the evil one. Do you see the, the diverse picture here? We're from God. The world's under the control of the evil one. He's reminding them, hey, hey guys, gals, remember whose side you're on. Remember who's on your side in this, in this struggle with sin. And John's referring back to something he said earlier. Surprise, surprise. Look back at chapter 4, verse 4. He says, little children, you are from God, and you've overcome them. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is a battle, and you're on the winning side. The battle's already been won. The battle against sin. Do you remember what Jesus said back up in chapter 3? Or John says that the Son of God appeared in order to take away sins. And then a few verses later, he says, He appeared in order to destroy the works of the enemy, of the evil one. So John's just reminding us, he's reminding us that's whose side you're on. Even though the enemy is still the power in this present world, you're not under that control of that power. You are protected by Jesus. He can't touch you. 
That's the kind of confidence that we need to have as we're walking this path through life, trying to practice righteousness because we've been born of God. Before I move on to the last point, if you find yourself trapped in sin, you're a believer, you hate it, maybe it's something in your past that's just been covered and just you can't keep it back and it's, you, you fear this destruction, I want you to know that you are not alone, that there are people in this church family who have walked that path. They have walked that path and they have walked toward victory and they have a ministry of helping others. They have felt called to come alongside brothers and sisters and help them to deal with these things in a way to bring them to God so that they can have that life restored, those relationships that have been damaged restored. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, please reach out. Reach out to the pastors. We know who these people are, and we would love to just get you in touch with them so that you can receive help and live this life of uh, victory and joy and abundant life that Christ has called and, uh, us to and provided for. So the last absolute is this absolute that will absolutely change your life because it gives you, it gives us kind of the main thing. Here's the main thing. It's, his, it's, it's John's last statement. He's like, okay, I'm going to just finish with, this is what it's all about, folks. You ready? You can know God. You can know him. This isn't just some go through the motions, religious, we got to figure out what to do and not to do. This is an intimate, a calling to an intimate relationship with God. And so John says, this is what it's all about. And here it is. John's fantastic ending, the last absolute, verse 20. And we know that the Son of God has come, and he's given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, and in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. That's how John ends his book, his letter. So our last we know is that Jesus has come. He's given us understanding so that we can know the true God. What is that understanding? It's the gospel, right? It's the good news. It's, every, it's who Jesus is how he lived his life, the things that he taught. If you, what is the gospel? It's everything that is about Jesus. And it culminates with the cross and the resurrection. But we can know and understand, we can know him and understand this because of what he has done for us. He has come and he gives us understanding. You know that John has used a word about we know a lot, and it's a, it's a, it's a form of the Greek that is a, in the perfect tense. This is absolute truth. It doesn't change. 
It's a done deal. You can count your life on it. But whenever John talks about the love of God, or he talks about knowing God, he uses a present tense of the verb gnosko, which, which we get our word knowledge from, right? And he is trying to emphasize, folks, this is an ongoing personal knowledge of God that Jesus has come to allow us to live in. This is the main thing. And you know why we know it's the main thing? Because Jesus himself taught his disciples that. So I love it that John, the prayer that John chooses to use in his gospel story, and maybe it was in the Garden of Gethsemane, maybe it was beforehand, but he uses what's called the high priestly prayer of, God, of Jesus. And it's found in John 17. And so Jesus is praying at this point. John's listening, and he's recording Jesus' prayer for us. I just want you to look at verse 3, and we're going to close with this. This is Jesus about what it's all about. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Brothers and sisters who believe in the name of Jesus, knowing God is the gift that you've been giving. It is eternal life. This process of knowing him isn't something we just wait for when we die. It is a process that begins the day that we receive eternal life. And what is that? It's this process. It's this journey of knowing God. Isn't that beautiful? That is what Jesus realized he was all about. That's why he sent. He said, I've, I've completed the work you gave me to do so that they might know you. So this is our greatest joy when it's our greatest pursuit. Friends who do not yet believe, this is what you're invited into. Do you know that this is the heart of God for you? It's a life of knowing the one who knows you and loves you, who gave his life for you so that you might know him. And last Sunday, we spent time in this passage right before ours, and this is what John says. How do you, how do you know? Well, verse 11 of, of chapter 5, this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. That's pretty cut and dry. But what it is, is it's an invitation to have the son. He's offered himself. So to have him simply means to embrace Jesus. And his offer of forgiveness. As you come to the understanding of, oh, my word, this is what he did this for. This is why he came. Then we receive that offer. We receive Jesus as our Lord, and we're born again. We simply do this through prayer. And I guarantee when we ask God that initial prayer of faith, that he always, always gives us what we ask for eternal life.
So I encourage you to do that today. You can do that on your own. You can do that with somebody around you. You can do that with our prayer team, with one of us. But don't leave here today with the Lord's pressing on your heart and inviting you into a, a personal relationship with him. This is what it's all about. It's our greatest joy and privilege is knowing him. So, with this strong, bold statement, John says, children, keep yourself from idols. And that's how he ends his book. No sweet ending. It's just like, keep yourself from idols. And it makes so much sense within the context of what he just said. Because what is an idol? A false God that, that robs our worship and our service and our attention. And so John has just said, who's the true God? Jesus. He's the true God and eternal life. And so, of course, he's going to end saying, keep yourself from anything else, little children, that would any other teaching about Jesus, any other passion that would draw you away, any fear or persecution that would make you want to blend this Christianity with some other faith, any other pleasure or purpose that God's given you, those are good things. Keep yourself from things. Keep your heart wholly true to the one true God. This is where eternal life is headed. Do it now and enjoy it for eternity. And so that's all available to us when we believe in Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you, whatever God's been putting on your heart, maybe it's just encouragement today, be encouraged. But if God's pressing you in to deal with sin or to pray more faithfully for brothers or sisters or to make that profession of faith before God to say, I'm in, please don't leave this room today without taking care of that. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Oh, just these amazing truths, God, from your word. The whole time that we've been able to spend to be encouraged as, as your people to base our lives and our practice and our living on these things that we can absolutely know for sure because you revealed them to us in your word. And so we pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would convict us, correct us, strengthen us, and encourage us, and teach us. Continue to do that even as we uh, go out from here today. All of it, Lord, so that you might be glorified.